All right, this is the second part to the lecture on death of the king and atonement theories. And we're going to kind of take a pause before we start dealing with specific atonement theories to talk a little bit about uh, what the crucifixion, when viewed this way, how it should shape the way that we think about following Jesus. And how it should shape the way that we view the cross and the kingdom and the kingdom and the cross. And so let me share my screen with you and then we can jump into talking through this. Glorification and humiliation have been often pitted against each other in the story of Jesus. So in a, in a really traditional, very cut and dry reformed approach to dealing with the crucifixion and resurrection, it'll go something like this. There was a period of humiliation that preceded a period of exaltation. The, the cross was the moment of humiliation or the period of humiliation, and the resurrection was the moment of exaltation. And uh, Jeremy Treat in his book, The Crucified King, argues pretty persuasively that that is a very uh, divided way of viewing a unified act. That it's best to not think about um, the cross and the resurrection as humiliation before glorification or glorification after humiliation, but glorification through humiliation. So he's using these two categories, which are really kind of two different ways of viewing the, the cross, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ and saying, it's not that humiliation came before Christ was glorified. It's that Christ is glorified through humiliation, through the cross. What looks, and this is kind of what Paul's dealing with in 1 Corinthians, what looked foolish to the Greeks and to the Jews is actually the wisdom of God. That the cross isn't just this uh, this despairing moment in the wake of a story that gets brighter, but that it is the way that God was unveiling his kingdom in his son. This idea of glorification through humiliation. And obviously this is going to have to have some bearing on the way that we think about discipleship and what we might call the economics of the kingdom of God or life in the kingdom of God. This is what Martin Luther is getting at when he says the king does not rule without a cross. Therefore, this must be a kingdom of the cross. And when you hear it that way, you're like, well, of course it is, right? God's kingdom is founded by a cross. It's entered through a cross and it's shaped by a cross. But just hold the phone. Are the kingdoms of the world cruciform in nature? Spoiler, the answer is no. <laughs> no, because a cross-shaped kingdom isn't very persuasive unless you're absolutely convinced that the cross-shaped kingdom is the way of Jesus. And that the way of Jesus is the way of life. Outside of that, why would you pick up a cross, right? You see, every false story, consumerism, individualism, progressivism, I mean, we've, we've hit a lot of them. Individualism, collectivism, I mean, almost all the isms. <laughs> every false story rejects enthronement humiliation. Yet we as Christians are called to live cross-shaped stories. Thomas Akempis a spiritual church father gets at this. Let me see if I can, oh, I don't have it. I'll read you this quote, but before I read you this quote, I want to show you this video. And I'm really hoping that the audio for the video works. So I'm hoping you can see the video and I'm hoping you can hear the audio. If you can't, I will include, let me make a note. I will include a link to this on YouTube so that you can watch it. This is from a movie called A Hidden Life. 
Um, and uh, it's a very, I think, a very good movie. It's a very important movie. And I want you to watch this clip, and then I'll explain why I'm having you watch it. So here you go. and dream. They look up and they imagine that if they lived back in Christ's time, they wouldn't have done what the others did. They would have murdered those whom they now adore. I paint all this suffering, but I don't suffer myself. I make a living of it. just create sympathy we create we create admirers don't create follow us Christ's life is a demand you don't want to be reminded of it we don't have to see what happens to the truth. Darker time is coming. And men will be more clever. They won't fight the truth. They'll just ignore it. I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo over his head. How can I show what I haven't lived? Someday I might have the courage to venture, not yet. Someday I'll paint the true Christ. So I wanted you to watch that video so that you could get a sense of, uh, I think, what is a really powerful observation that the painter makes. If you were watching the video, you saw, what did he say? He's in there and he's painting in a, a cathedral and he says, you know, we create admirers. We don't create followers. He says, Christ's life is a demand. And then he goes on to say, I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo above his head, but maybe someday I'll paint the true Christ. Um, 
I mean, that's a, I mean, gosh, he, uh, that's an incredibly uncomfortable observation he's making. Let me give you the setting for this in the movie. Uh, the, the young man he's talking to, the guy that's sitting next to him and seems to be kind of handing him painting supplies and stuff like that, is a guy who's a farmer in a small Austrian town. And he's actively uh, trying, uh, they're actively trying to recruit him to join the Nazi army. Uh, it's, uh, this is, uh, pre-World War II, um, and he just he just cannot bring himself to do it. He was essentially a conscientious objector to Hitler and the Nazi party and, of course, uh, the military. Uh, and so he ends up going to prison, and he ends up dying as a result of his objection. Um, and the point of the movie is to demonstrate that quiet faithfulness, um, even by people that we don't remember, uh, can help overturn evil and darkness in the world. Uh, what the painter is saying is going to form the moral imagination for this man. He's looking at Hitler rising to power, um, somebody who ignores truth and just wants to rule by force and by hate and by death. And yet he is willing to follow in the way of Jesus in the face of all of that. He's willing to follow the demand that is the life of Christ. Uh, Thomas Akempis says this, Jesus has many lovers of his heavenly kingdom, but few bearers of his cross. He has many seekers of consolation, but few of tribulation. He finds many companions at his feasting, but few at his fasting. All desire to rejoice in him, but few are willing to endure anything for him. Many follow Jesus as far as the breaking of bread, but few to the drinking of the cup of his passion. Many reverence his miracles, but few will follow the shame of his cross. Many love Jesus as long as no adversaries befall them. And that, uh, that is a startling word to us, um, calling us into the cross-shaped kingdom. When adversaries befall us, the shame of the cross, drinking the cup of his passion, willing to endure anything for him, present at his fasting, present in the tribulation, and as a bearer of the cross. You see, the Christian story is cross-shaped because Christ's kingdom is cross-shaped. And if we're going to be people of the king, and people who follow King Jesus, then we should expect that the way of following Christ Jesus will be shaped as a cross, that that's what our discipleship will look like, that it will involve um, uh, swimming upstream for the world. It will involve walking in a different way that is costly and sacrificial. And so I want us to move into talking through atonement theories, but I think I'd be remiss if I didn't pause here to give you maybe just a few moments to come before the Lord in prayer. Um, and so whether you're listening to this, or you're watching this, I'm going to cut part two here, and then I'll jump into part three in just a moment, and we'll deal with atonement theories and extent of the atonement and all of those things. But before we jump into that, I don't want you going to the third part of this, whether video or audio, without stopping to pray and just asking the Lord, Lord, am I really following who you are? Or have I recreated you in an image that is very comfortable, safe, and sanitary? Um, because your kingdom is cross-shaped, and I do want to pick up the cross and follow you. Just bring that to the Lord and, and ask him to really mold your life into the shape of our cruciform king and kingdom. So I'm going to stop this, and then after you spend a few moments in prayer, uh, you can jump into part three as we talk about atonement theories and extent of the atonement. So I'll see you.